You are listening to sermon audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net. What does Thanksgiving mean? You know, I look at this and I give thanks to the Lord. There's all kinds of stuff. If you've been following Tom and Lori, what happened to them this weekend? Tom Mendaka and Lori Farr, they what? They got married. They both lost a spouse and now they're together. I mean, unbelievably cool stuff, easy to be thankful for. Tim and Carol Clark. Tim is home. Cancer's invaded horribly. Hopeless in any medical sense, it seems. What does Thanksgiving look like? Gary and Ev Walden were over here this morning. They've got a go-no-go decision on chemo here in about two weeks. Likely, this was their last Thanksgiving. What does it look like? A week ago today, remember this? What's the name of the town? Paradise. How ironic that paradise was a conflagration, looked like hell. Firefighters risking their lives as people were being burned to death, being trapped in this fire. On Thanksgiving Day, those same firefighters were serving Thanksgiving meals to survivors of that fire and crying because of the privilege of being able to do it. Malibu, the Woolsey Fire, gathering together at Pepperdine just to celebrate community in the midst of a thousand people losing their homes. and I mean... What does it look like? The other side of it, Kansas City, Missouri. Who's that? That's Michael, my five-year-old grandson, and Don, my son. And what are they doing? What we don't get to do here, we get to rake dry leaves. And what do you do with dry leaves? You know, you got a worker here. I mean, look at that little guy go. Oh, my gosh. And then what do you do? Here we go, you know. Did you try that here on Thanksgiving? Splash! You get the whole family together in the leaves and playing. The only problem here, that's the wrong grandfather. Should be me, not Dave. <laughs> I mean, there's all kinds of things to celebrate. And that's what we're doing when we celebrate and give thanks to the Lord, is we're in a place where there's a battle of two champions, two cities, and they're at war with each other. And that's what we look at as we continue this journey through this opening chapters of Genesis, as we look at the fall in chapter 3 and the spiral down. Jay talked about last time that God's pushing restart with Noah in chapter 9. Chapter 10 takes the genealogies, Shem, Ham, Japheth, the three sons of Noah, and it takes them in reverse order, Japheth first and then Ham. And one of the sons of Ham is Cush. And one of his sons is Nimrod. And it gives this very enigmatic picture, a mighty warrior on the earth, a mighty hunter before the Lord. That is why it said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. That says something when you repeat it three times. And it goes on. The first centers of his kingdom were where? What? Where? Good thing or bad thing? Oh, my gosh. You read this canonically and your chills begin to run down because that's the mega beast. From the land he went to Assyria where he built Nineveh, that other historic enemy of the people of God, started by Nimrod. 
So you see these things are built by Nimrod, the first of the mighty warriors, in quotes. And that theme of a mighty warrior, but on the other side, begins to follow through and beginning here with this enigmatic legendary figure in chapter 10. The word means rebel, Nimrod. And that displays something. As you look at the Jewish stories of him in the Talmud and such, he is the one who is a mighty hunter of souls of men. He is the one who is angry at God for killing his forefathers and sets himself out to oppose the very things of God. But there's another picture of these mighty men. It goes back to chapter 6, the Nephilim. These ones that were on the earth when the sons of God and the daughters of men, they were heroes of old, mighty men, mighty warriors. And this begins a cycle that goes through. It's in your notes. Champion named Goliath. Why do you remember him? Well, he's the guy that got in the battle with, that David picked a fight with. Killed him with a sling. Nine foot nine. Which basketball team gets to draft him? Or will he go with a football team? I mean, good night. Second Samuel 21, Elohim killed a brother of Goliath, who had a spear and a shaft like a weaver's rod. In another battle which took place at Gath, there was a huge man with six fingers on each hand, six toes. See, these are mighty warriors, these giants. But they're not good guys. And that picture runs through there, this Nimrod picture. If you go through and if you look it up on Wikipedia... Just look Nimrod. It will take you through some of the legends around Nimrod. He is a historic figure that comes in all kinds of different things, including, ironically, he is the founder of the Hungarian Empire, and he's also the head of, by choice, of the Freemasons, a group that set themselves up against God back in the early days of our country. Chapter 11. Let's read these first verses together here. Genesis chapter 11 says this, Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to one another, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. So they used brick instead of stone, tar for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we can make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city, a tower the people were building. So if anyone could count, oops, skipped a page. The Lord said, if one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan can be impossible for them. Let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from all over the earth and they stopped building the city. That's why it called Babel. Because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. It goes on with the genealogy. And I look at this picture. Genesis chapter 9. There's a command. As God pushes restart. And that command was also back in Genesis 1.26. What is it? Spread through the whole earth. Fill it with image-bearing covenant partners who are blessable and carry God's blessing and build beautiful things. What did the people do? As they moved eastward, they, what? Stopped in one spot because it was a beautiful place like the Willamette Valley, perhaps. 
and they settled there. Come, let's build a city, otherwise we will be scattered over the face of the earth. What's the narrative point here? The narrative point is these people are rejection. They're in rejection of God's command to fill the earth. They're rebelling against the call of God to go into the world and bring God's beauty and God's blessing into those places. They're rejecting the other Nimrod, the rebel, the mighty man who set himself to get back at God for what he did to the forefathers. They said to them, let's make bricks and break them thoroughly. They use brick instead of stone, tar for mortar. What does that say? What are you talking about there? Well, it's talking about technology to build a tower. Now, technology, good thing or bad thing? There's inherent evil built into these things. They have to be redeemed. How do you redeem a a phone? Well, you take pictures of grandkids and send them to the grandpa. That's the way you do it. (laughs) But see, they're using technology on the bad side. They want to build a tower that reaches to the heavens. And so what they're doing here, what they're doing in this tower... Is there set to control access to heaven apart from God? See, in that phrase, they're doing it apart from God. We're called to be covenant partners with God to bring blessing and beauty into the whole earth. No. We will control access to God on our own. That heaven and earth that were together at the beginning, split apart by sin, God comes down to Eve and Adam after the fall. No, we want to control that. We'll do it ourselves. Thank you, God. You just step there. It goes on. This tower that's built of the heavens, why did they build it? And the answer is that we may make a name for ourselves. What does that mean? Well, see, what that means is we'll build our own identity apart from God. See, God calls us to be covenant partners with him, image bearers, working with him to bring blessing and beauty into the whole world. And this is saying, no, 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 no. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Like the serpent said to Eve, you can't trust God because you don't know what he's up to. Like he's big and busy. Like just take care of yourself. Figure it out for yourself and do it for yourself. The song of the serpent. And that's what they're doing. Nimrod is the mighty man of serpent side. Josephus, the Jewish historian that lived just in the century with Jesus, reflecting back on this, his own writing said, what he's doing there, they're making this waterproof tower that's super high up in the heavens to make themselves immune to God's judgment. What Josephus is saying, one of the profound thinkers in early Judaism, is Nimrod's agenda was to make himself impermeable to God. Control access, build our own identity, make ourselves immune so God can't stop us. That's the picture of that first part. J. Mack was good enough to share his childhood book. It was really hard for him to do. But I pled, please, Jay, please. I didn't grow up with this book. I'm too old. 
So he gave it to me. And here's this thing. And I know you can't read it. A tower that reached to heaven. How beautiful it is, one guy says. The other guy says, it can be seen for miles in time of danger. We rally our forces around it. No one is going to conquer and scatter us with this tower. We'll be invincible. Is that Jay's song? No. <laughs> no. But see, that's the story well told in this children's book. By the way, those of you listening on the podcast, we'd love to have you here. Come to the desk. We'll greet you, sit with you. But you can download the PowerPoint and look at the picture there. So that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to build a beautiful tower that reaches into the very heavens. So they have their own identity. They'll have their own access to heaven. What's God's response? Now, just like Eve and Adam, after that first sin in Genesis 3, God comes. Here's a little bit different flavor. God came down to see the city and the tower of the people building. What's this saying? They're building a city into the heavens so you can control access. And God has to come down to see the thing. It's a sarcastic jab. You got such a great tower, I can't even see it from up here in heaven. I got to come down to check it out. See, and the arrogance that we bring in our own self importance from God's perspective is, you've got to be kidding. I want so much more for you. He had to come down to see it. But he says this, if one people speaking the same language had come to do this, then nothing will be impossible for them. I read this passage and I think of people united in the service of evil. If you're a Polish communist, who is the most dangerous man in the world in 1989? Pope John Paul II, the Polish Pope. And when he came back to Poland, despite every attempt of the communist government, one million people showed up for his mass. And as he's doing the homily in the middle of the mass, short, just in nothing political about it, just purely a homily calling people to serve God, the people began to chant as one, one million people, we want God, we want God. People united together was the death knell of the Polish Communist Party. In our own city, people gathered together, and what happens? A riot breaks out. Antivia versus the Patriot Prayer. And when, if you're in a car downtown and you get caught in this nonsense, what do you want? What do you want? You want the police to come to shut this thing down. And that's what God does. That's what God does. He comes down and confuses their language and scatters them over the city. What he does is he graciously disrupts their unity and service of evil. What he's doing here is actually an act of grace, even as it's an act of punishment. Because he is graciously stopping the riot to bring chaos and disorder and death. Arrogance and narcissism. And God's saying, no, 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 stop. Graciously doing that. Their tower that's going to the midst of the heavens stopped, half-built. And that half-built tower becomes a monument to the futility of human arrogance to the reality of God's grace if you read it right. 
in some ways is a precursor to the cross, where, as we sang in the song, death is arrested by an instrument of death. One of the things I'm curious about, why do they call it, why is it translated Babel here in chapter 11? That same Hebrew word is translated Babylon everywhere else. And Babylon becomes that city of evil that goes all the way into Revelation where it's fallen and fallen as Babylon. It's the tower of evil stuff. Why do you call it Babel? Well, I found out. The word confused in Hebrew is Balel. So Babel is actually Balel because in Babylonian, Babel means city of God, but in Hebrew it sounds like confusion. So we keep the Hebrew word study. Now, Josh, you're a Hebrew guy. Why didn't they translate that as Babylon? To keep a Hebrew word study that nobody knows unless you go searching deep down. I don't know. What is God doing? He goes to Abraham and he says what? Go. And what's the, what's the repeated phrase after that? What's the repeated phrase? I will. I will. I will. I will, God says, I will make your name great. What a contrast. What a contrast. We will make a name for ourselves. God says, I will make your name great, and you'll be a blessing to everyone. Chapter 17. As for me, my covenant with you, you will be the father of many nations. Long you'll be called Abram, your name will be Abraham. I'll make you father of many nations. See, we see the the work of Nimrod and the Babylon on one side, many nations. We see God at work on another side with many nations, totally different agendas. And those cycles go all the way through scripture. He calls Abram giving him a name, as opposed to the city of Babylon where Nimrod is, and his heirs are making a name for themselves. Very, very, very different agendas. Acts chapter 1. Jesus, just before he is exalted. You'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses. Where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, every nation. See, this is the the work of God, is to bring blessing to every nation, not death and destruction. Chapter 2, day of Pentecost, Sound of a blowing of violent wind from heaven. The whole house are sitting. They saw it seemed to be tongues of fire that separated. Same word we saw back in chapter 11 of Genesis, where he divided the peoples. Now the separation is God's blessing is separating on all the people who are present. They're all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now they're saying to Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from where? From Every nation under heaven. They heard the sound as the crowd came together, bewildered because that bewilderment, the word there is confusion. It's the same thing that to use back in chapter 11 of Genesis. God confused their tongues. Now the confusion comes together when they hear the blessing of God coming through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the work of God, is to bring blessing. He sends the Spirit to empower the gospel to bring to good news to every nation. So we see on one hand the Nimrod Babylon, on the other hand we see the Abraham city of God, totally opposed to each other, all working with every nation. And what news do you bring? And I look at this pair. Nimrod Babylon on one side, 
I look at Abraham, city of God on the other. And he followed the city of God narrative a bit. Hebrews 11. By faith. See, here's the difference. Nimrod, I don't trust anybody. I'm doing it myself. Abraham, by faith, he trusts God. When God says, go into this far country, become a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents as Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him, the same promise. Why? He was 11.10. He was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is the Lord. See, very different agenda than Nimrod. Abraham is willing to live in tents in a strange country to build the city of God. Later in that same chapter, verse 16, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he's prepared a city for them. And of course in Revelation 21. We see the heavenly Jerusalem coming down. And God will make his presence fully with us. He'll be his, we will be his people. He will be our God. That's the hope of the city of God. See you look at these two cities. Nimrod Babylon. A theme that works all the way through. They serve the serpent. Abraham. City of God. Serving Yahweh. Who wants to bring life and blessing. Even at cost of his own death. And I look at the two, Nimrod and Abraham. Nimrod, there's no empathy in a Nimrod. None. It's one of the marks of a Nimrod. They never feel the pain of somebody else, ever. Abraham, compassionate. The first character of God, the first character of God's people is they go into the place of pain with other people and share it. You see a sense of self-importance in Nimrod. You see a humility in Abraham and his people. This chart, you can get it from downloading the PowerPoint if you want to do that. Nimrod, entitlement. All the way. And so you think of, I know a Nimrod. Yeah, they're around. They're around. Abraham, into serving other people. The opposite. Nimrod, Suspicion of others. Oh, I wonder what they're up to. They're trying to cut me down. Abraham, exactly the opposite. He's into building others. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. These, gift, these gifted people are given to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to build people up. See, a different agenda completely. Nimrods need approval and attention all the time. Abraham, confident in Christ. I don't need your praise. I mean, it's fine. I mean, I just honored the people up here on stage, and they should be honored. They're, they're serving well. People back on the... I mean, there's all kinds of people who serve. We honor them. But they don't need that attention because they're confident in Christ. I know who I am, child of God. Nimrod only associates with special people and brags about it. Abraham, those widows, orphans, strangers, and poor. December 7th, right here in this building, there'd be a lot of widows and orphans and strangers and poor people here, and we'll get to hang with them. It'll be amazing. I mean, you saw the video. Oh, my gosh. You did a great job with your drone getting around those face pictures. And you get to serve with people like that and bring joy and blessing in their life? That is so fulfilling. But not of your Nimrod. See, Nimrods, they have to control the narrative. They have to control the narrative. Where Abraham joins another narrative, the Jesus narrative. And in this contrast of the Nimrod side 
the Babylon side, the serpent side. The other side is the Abraham, the city of God, service of Yahweh, following Jesus, is the contrast. Our goal, of course, is to become fully Abraham, fully Christ followers. We use our technology collectively to glorify ourselves in the Human City Project. Everything about technology is to make me look great. Very different in the city of God. The Human City Project, we crowd together to preserve our identity and control our fortunes apart from God. When you follow the the news feed, you'll see people writing their own biographies, trying to control the narrative of what is the what it means to be an American or what it means to be a Portlander or what it means to be a See, we don't do that. We're at a very different level. And the serpent song is always don't trust anybody, define for yourself what is good, right, true, beautiful, and real. Define for me. Instead of letting God define those things. For those are Jesus' followers. Satan's scheme, all the way along, is to rob us of our true identity. What is our identity? What is our identity? Child of God. Child of God. What kind of father is Yahweh? Good father. Child of God. It's who we are. It means we get to work with Abba, Daddy, bringing blessing and beauty into people's lives. Now, to be sure, sometimes that's going to be very hard on us because it means we're going to have to go in some dark places. And we live in a place where the serpent is alive and well, the princess world, and he brings death and disaster and despair into people's lives. Child of God, serving Abba. That's our true identity and blessing. Satan wants to rob it. He wants to divert us from the fulfillment of being on God's mission. And I can tell you there's nothing, 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 nothing more fulfilling than serving to bring blessing and beauty into the lives of hurting and broken people, to bring forgiveness into the lives of sinners, to bring honor into the lives of the shamed. Nothing is more fulfilling than that. Satan's wants no, no, no. You don't want to do that. Too costly. Satan's agenda is to have us follow, quote-unquote, mighty warriors. God's agenda is for us to be mighty warriors in a whole different sense. Serving the king of this universe, the victory, who brings life into death. Worship team, come on up here. We're going to sing here in a bit, because I want to follow this through. Because we're calling her to join in the building of the city of God. To be Abrahamic type people, to be followers of Jesus, and it's an awesome calling. Awesome calling. 
And this song we're going to sing has a, I mean, there's stuff in here that just absolutely is, is so good. You bring hope to the hopeless, and we get to be a part of that. You bring light to those in darkness. What an incredible satisfaction there is to that. And death to life, now I'm alive, because he brought life to us. It goes on, oh, you give peace to the restless. And we get to be a part of that. Joy to homes that are broken. I see you now and you I'm found. And it all comes back to you open the door for me. You laid down your life to set me free. All that I am. I will serve you, Lord, to build the city of God. We got to sing this song like get after it. <laughs> that is so true. The question is, can we believe it? Nimrods run the world, it seems like. We're in a place where lament. Oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long, oh Lord? But see, that's a song sung to a good father. When there just there's no praise left. You sing the song of lament to the God who is willing to come into the place of death to bring life bring hope into the midst of despair even when you can't find the hope you sing that song of lament and when times are good you reach out to those who are hurting because it's like Jesus that's the way of Abraham that's the way of Jesus that's the way of fulfillment prayer teams on the side cornucopia is here to put your praise things in let's pray Father thank you that you are good that you keep coming I don't understand why you do but I'm glad you do to bring blessing through Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. Holy Spirit, show us those places where we need to be more Abrahamic and less Nimrodic. Then we can serve you and bring blessing to a world that desperately needs your hope. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go change the world. Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net.